You're listening to the Speechy Side Up podcast, episode number 12. Today we are joined by Rose Griffin from ABA Speech. Rose is a fellow Speechy, board certified BCBA, and mom of three. She has created so many comprehensive products and is an ASHA accredited CEU provider. In this episode, we discuss her unique perspective as both an SLP and BCBA, how she maintains a healthy work-life balance, and why she decided to pursue a second degree. You're listening to the Speechy Side Up podcast with Kim and Vanita. Just two SLPs in a pod who love their field and supporting fellow SLP bosses. This podcast will cover the flip side of traditional speech and language therapy so you get inspired and learn from experts in the field. Here are your hosts. When they are not working together on their social book series, Lou Knows What to Do, Vanita can be found traveling or drinking matcha lattes. Kim can be found running marathons or fueling her coffee addiction to function as a mom to a preschooler and an infant. Together, they are serving up some informative and fun topics in Speechy Side Up. Hey everybody, Kim and Vanita here. Welcome to the Speechy Side Up podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment. You can also follow us on Instagram at Speechy Side Up, S-P-E-E-C-H-I-E-S-I-D-E-U-P. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. Today we have Rose Griffin, a woman who wears many different hats. She is a fellow speechy and board certified BCBA, also a mom of three. Rose, you have so many comprehensive products available on your website, and we are so excited to talk to you today. So before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what your journey has been, and what you do today? Thank you. I'm so excited that you guys reached out and uh, to be on the podcast today talking to everybody. So you had such a nice intro there. I am a speech therapist and I am also a board certified behavior analyst. I have been practicing speech therapy for about 16 years now. So I'm kind of getting to that point where I'd say I'm more of a seasoned therapist. And um, I split my time right now. I work three days a week in a public middle school, high school, and then I work one day a week in a private school for students with autism and students with more complex needs. And then one day a week, I work on all things ABA speech. So like you said, I have some physical products that I've created and I have a blog and I provide a lot of um, professional development so about how to work more effectively with students with autism and students that are hard to reach that's kind of my niche area and what I really want to help people out there do that's great awesome. yeah, yeah that's fantastic I like that you have so many different settings that you work in too makes you yes. super well-rounded thank you yes I love that because sometimes it's hard in a school to reach the parents where in a, a private setting it might be a little easier and then there's definitely struggles I have in the public school that I don't have in the private setting so it's great because when I'm trying to collaborate with um, if I'm a school-based therapist and I'm trying to collaborate with the private therapist I kind of understand the pros and cons of each setting so it kind of makes that collaboration a little bit easier definitely definitely so now which came first was it your SLP degree or the BCBA Yes. So I became a speech therapist first and I had an extern supervisor that um, we called it student teaching where I was in graduate school and I was 
placed in a school-based setting and we were working with a lot of students with autism and pretty severe autism, students that were in elementary school, but really that were not communicating and students that had a lot of problem behavior. And as a lot of people can relate, it was just the speech therapist and teacher trying to help these students communicate more effectively. And it was there that I really started to obviously love the field of speech therapy and I still do today, but to really be excited to help students with autism and students who were really struggling to find their voice. That student that comes into the room that doesn't want to sit in the chair and doesn't want to play with the toys that you think are the coolest, you know, that is really where I developed that passion for working with that, those students. And so uh, I definitely was a speech therapist first and then just got immersed. I started working in a private school for students with autism called the Cleveland Clinic Center for Autism. Now it's called the Learner School. And that's really where I fell in love with learning more about how to help students that were just hard to reach. And so I think what was so hard for me, and I'm sure you guys can relate, is that there just wasn't a lot of information out there about how to work with that kid that doesn't want to sit in the chair or how to work with that student that is not making progress with some of the traditional type things that I had been learning. And so I we used applied behavior analysis uh, where I worked. And so I just became really fascinated with the change that I saw in the students when we were applying the systematic way to work on communication. It was just life changing for these individuals. And so then I decided that I wanted to become a board certified behavior analyst. And I just became immersed in, in the science of applied behavior analysis and how to use that to help students really increase their communication skills. That's really cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I don't know if you knew this, but before, so my undergraduate degree was in psychology. Oh, okay. And while I was in school, I actually worked as a um, ABA assistant. Oh, okay. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. so right there in the trenches in the front line. And um, yeah, there's just so many different students. You know, I remember this one student we had who was 18 and you know, just had never made gains and had no way to communicate. And I remember he wasn't even on my caseload. He was on my friend's caseload. But at the time, it was kind of a growing program. And he had a device at the time. It was a tech speak. I don't even know if that's a device anymore. And he was able to learn how to request, you know, that he wanted to eat a hamburger, that he wanted ketchup. And I just remember how exciting that was and remember meeting this person and thinking, oh my gosh, like this this person is 18 and has no way to communicate. And, you know, by applying these strategies and being really systematic and collaborative in our design for his instruction, he was able to, you know, have a way to communicate with the world. And that's just when I got really hooked on, on how to help people that are really hard to reach. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely see that. I feel like you know, I also work at a school for autism. Oh, okay. And yeah. I, I just feel like it's such a win when you see people really making progress with communication. Yes. It's just like, it's so rewarding. And you're like, yes, this yes. is not in this field. Right. It is. So. It's so exciting. And what I've been saying lately with uh, all the webinars I've been doing and things, you know, I kind of have my mom hat on and my BCBA hat and my SLP hat. But what I say is that, you know, when you're helping the students who are so hard to to help and sometimes it can be hard to apply these strategies because you know it takes some analysis and it's difficult and you have to collaborate and um, it doesn't just happen alone but you know you're helping that student but you're not only helping that student you're helping that student have access to the community and you're helping that student interact with family better and you're helping that family actually 
you know, have more access to the community too, to be able to go on vacation and, and things like that. And I've worked with students who I've met who have no way to communicate, have a lot of problem behavior because that's what they've developed these problem behavior repertoires, we say, to communicate with the world because they couldn't communicate. Um, and then people's lives just get so small and they can't go to the grocery store and they can't go on vacation. And, you know, seeing somebody increase their communication skills and decrease problem behavior, it just opens, literally opens their world up. And that is really, really something to be excited about. No, it's, it's so, so true. And I feel like that's, a, that's such a great point that you bring up, like about how we don't realize sometimes how small these people's worlds do become because they really can't go to a lot of different settings or it becomes not worth it or maybe it's a danger right. because you have a student who's a runner or, you know something like that i yes. actually have a really good friend and her son has autism and she brought up something to me one day that i just had never ever considered which was that um basically she said you know you don't realize that a lot of the things that you look forward to when you're raising children she has right. other children as well um kind of are taken away from you when your child has autism like yes. and it's something I never considered and she's like for example Christmas morning that's something that people really look forward to Christmas morning or birthdays and your child you know waking up and opening presents or having certain traditions and her son isn't particularly interested in any of those things so he comes down it's just not of interest to him and she like finds a lot of different joy and she's a positive yeah. outlook yeah. and a lot of other little things but things that she always wanted to experience with her child in this scenario it doesn't happen for her and I think it's right. really important for us as therapists to be in touch with that and always like so sympathetic to the family and their needs because I think think it'll just drive our like goals forward in therapy. yes yes some days when those problem behaviors are hard or you know it's challenging to work on that same thing over and over again um yeah just kind of remembering the why the why we do it but yeah, yeah. that's a great point for yeah. sure for sure i think that you have a very unique position in that you are a bcba as well as an slp and uh we know that it can be very challenged challenging to marry both of those fields, but there are a lot of similarities. So how has your experience been having both certifications? Yes, I love it because, you know, I really started my coursework because I was just really challenged by working with students with autism and I just wanted to learn as much that I could so that I could help my students and really applying the strategies of, you know, of applied behavior analysis. And, you know, it's really just using the principles of behavior to help students, we say, improve, or any individual, improve socially significant behaviors. And so, you know, there's, you know, communication is so socially significant. And so I really love having that, um, having a foot in each kind of area. And actually, you know, as a school-based therapist, I am collaborating with an outside consultant often that's a BCBA, even though I'm a BCBA, in that setting, I'm a speech language pathologist. So it obviously makes that kind of collaboration a lot easier, which I know that a lot of us, especially as I'm talking as a school-based therapist, can be collaborating with outside consultants, often to that time is the model. And oftentimes we don't get a consultant until maybe things aren't going so great. And then it can feel very contentious and um, not so cozy and warm and fuzzy. So I think that definitely has helped and helped me try to talk to speech language pathologists about how, you know, uh, BCBAs can be very helpful and things like that. And then talk to BCBAs about 
how speech therapists, you know, we may be talking about things differently, but we all have the student's best interest in mind. And so I think that's really important to remember when we start to get down to the nitty gritty about the differences that we have. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that that's so interesting. And I was kind of going to go there a little bit with, the, with this topic because I feel like it's a place we should go that sometimes I feel like SLPs and BCBAs do butt heads a little bit and not in all settings, certainly. I've worked with fantastic BCBAs in a lot of different settings. Um, right. But I feel like sometimes we do. Like, do you find yourself ever conflicted or like, you know, um, I don't know if like you, you'd think right. of something, I guess, like, oh, like the BCBA part of me wants to do this, but the SLP <laughs> part of me wants to do that. Like, well, you know. that's a great, that's a great question. I, you know what it is for me, I really view language from a behavioral perspective and I use uh, the verbal verbal behavior. So talking about Skinner, who we learned about in psychology, uh, which you definitely know if you have a psychology yeah. undergrad, did have a theory on language and communication. And now learning about it as a BCBA, and really that is what I use to help my students increase their skills. I really didn't remember even learning about that, you know, in our intro language course that I even referenced my book because I still have it. And I said, oh my gosh, we did learn about that. So it's, I think it's just approaching it a different way. So I really kind of walk the line of having both. And I, I think that I probably view language a little bit differently maybe now. Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely. And I mean, when I think about it, I feel like it's just interesting to me because I was just saying that Vanita, I've seen in a lot of different specific Facebook groups, SLPs particularly saying like they are disagreeing with the BCBA, but yes. yet I feel like we collaborate beautifully with OTs, teachers, parents, yes. like what is it that for some reason we kind of Well, I that, think, you know? yeah. And you know what? I had a really amazing job. I worked in Austin, Texas as an autism facilitator and support specialist. So mm -hmm. it was an administrative position. It was a two-year federally funded position, but it was a very collaborative position. So it was amazing. It was a group of 35 speech therapists, and I got to talk every single month in front of them at, for their speech meeting about uh, using applied behavior analysis and evidence-based practice and things like that. And then what was really amazing is that I could go onto their campus and I could help them with those students that were having trouble coming to the speech room or didn't want to, you know, sit in their chair, you know, some of those things that are really difficult or students that were having trouble. And so I think that it's just when you have somebody who's coming on in from the outside and who's mm -hmm. coming at a time when things maybe are not going so well, I think that it's That's human true. nature to get really defensive, even if there's nothing to be defensive about. And I think that people just put up a, a, a guard. And I also think that, you know, it gets a little complicated because there are BCBAs who are working on some programming, I call it programming, but you know, some skills that we as speech language pathologists work on and maybe we're not working them on the same way. And I think yeah. we just need to work a little bit on how can we complement each other. We don't have mm -hmm. to as speech language pathologists, if we don't agree with that, or we're not going to do it that way, or the BCBA isn't going to budge, then we could think of, okay, maybe you're going to work on it at the table this way. How can I complement that and work on that in more of a natural environment setting? Right. For sure, for sure. So you know, I mean, and I feel like I've collaborated with a ton of, especially like at IEP meetings where yes. a BCBA will come in. I feel like we've gotten along really well and it's been a, you know, a beautiful experience in almost every scenario. And even, <laughs> you know, what? I had one scenario where it wasn't and truthfully it wasn't a behavior versus speech thing. It was right. more like it was a very young outside therapist who came in. <laughs> 
and just had only worked with the, the student in one setting, one-on-one -on -one at home, and didn't know that very different behavior was being exhibited at school. Completely right. different child, which you know can happen. Yes. Um, oh, you yes. know, those like the different code switching in the settings. Mm -hmm. And um, so she was very young. It was clear in her first year out of therapy and she'd not worked at school or know how it worked. And she, she right before the meeting emailed me a Microsoft Word document that was 16 to 18 pages long <laughs> and nine of them were her suggested goals for me. And I was nine like, of them. nine <laughs> of those pages. Like, well, you know, I don't know if you know how our IEPs yeah. work or... Might want to tone it down a little bit. But yeah, yeah. No, exactly. right. and, and I'm sure it's been a couple of years now that, she, you know, she's learned like, okay, that's probably not how you should roll, roll right. into school, you know? Exactly, exactly. But you know, it's interesting. I actually teach a graduate level ethics course for people who are becoming board certified behavior analysts. And I talk a lot about how do we work collaboratively with others and um, how can we make, you know, these interdisciplinary teams work. And so that's something I definitely focus on. And it just depends on your schooling, your education, your experiences. Some people, if they have one bad experience with a professional, then they write off everybody. So it's that's hard. True. It's definitely a struggle. It's yeah. an ongoing thing to work on for sure. I think also going back to your example that it's not just like that that was the BCBA that was in the outside setting, but I think that a lot of times it's really hard for like whether it's a private SLP or a private OT to understand like what's going on in the school. So that could have just been that dynamic of for private sure. versus, you know, the public school setting. Oh, and nice. also um, I come from an A, like I specialize in the area of AAC mm -hmm. and I definitely see a lot of clashing there with um, BCBAs and SLPs um, because I'm an a AAC specialist. Um, right. I help other SLPs, you know, work with AAC, but but there's some really good research out there. Uh, one uh, article by Joan Cafiero about how to marry AAC or yeah AAC and um, applied behavior analysis. So oh. what we'll do is we'll include that in our podcast show links because oh, I've had a lot of people ask for that. So and it's very helpful. Oh, that's great. Oh, great. Great. Yeah. great. So moving on a little bit to the lighter, I have to ask you a question <laughs> that I ask all of our guests because it's a continual struggle in my life. Yeah. You're a mom. You're a mom of three. Yes. I am a mom three. of two. Three is yeah. terrifying to me because now there are more of them than there are of you. True. And it's a problem. And you need a bigger vehicle. Yes. Also scary. Oh, yes. <laughs> Just barely bit my two car seats in my size SUV. Um, so I have to ask... What are your secrets for healthy work-life balance? Any great mom hacks you might have? And what do you do for me time? <laughs> yes, no, it is. I mean, it definitely is hard to keep it all together. And, you know, with back to school time, I am definitely like into data and I'm a, definitely a nerd. I have made like a, a big chart about organization, about who goes where and what time and Tonight, I'm getting all the kids' clothes ready for the week. Every kid has an organizer in their closet. So I try to be very organized. Now, for me, you know, that can, we have this idea of treatment drift. Like, you know, at the back to school time, I'm going to start and everything's going to be perfect. And every Sunday, I'll meal prep and do all this stuff and then, you know, kind of 
around December that all stops. But you know, I just I, you know I try like I to be, start this I, way too, I, and then it's yes, like a yes. ridiculous like what my lunches look like in the beginning oh, of the school year. Oh no, one year like, no, honestly, one year when I had had my son, I would start out with a decent lunch, and by Thursday or Friday, it was like two pieces of bread and a sandwich bag, and it <laughs> better. I'm not joking, but like that's your protein, right? You have to you know something's got to give. So um, yeah, don't come to my school lunch. That would be bad. Um, but yeah. No, you know, I just try to stay really organized and I just really try to cherish the time with my kids. I try to not get on my phone and, you know, with having an online business, you know, there's a lot of multitasking that can take place, but I try to, I try to really be present and try to enjoy those small moments. And, you know, my kids are a little bit older now. The youngest is three. So I feel like I've turned a corner. And so I've been trying to reintroduce things into my life that I have not done for a really long time. So last summer I started playing golf again and that's been amazing I, I grew up just playing golf with my dad so that's been really fun because I do have most days off in the oh, summer and then um I just joined a gym I started doing Orange Theory Fitness which is super, super oh I hear hard. that's amazing yeah I, yeah yes. I love it it is yeah it's for me it's really hard because I'm out of shape and so that's been really fun and then I just you know I love Netflix and Bravo and all those kind of things like that that everybody else yeah. does so you have to make time for that or you'll go crazy yeah. oh definitely that's awesome okay so I'm still in the struggle because I have a six-month-old and an almost oh, yeah. four-year-old oh and so. Starbucks I forgot that's like yeah Starbucks or Dunkin Donuts is my daily and actually on the first day of school I had both. So I had <laughs> <laughs> at, at the end of the day it was Duncan, but that was that was like a professional. So I didn't tell everybody that, but <laughs> I love it. I know. I'm always I'm always looking for those tips. I'm gonna call yes. them all. Yeah. Yes. Listen, how you need to go to Starbucks in the morning and stuff like that. Maybe that'll yeah. be more caffeine is the issue. That, that, that will help, yes. For a while at least. <laughs> Oh gosh. So you have a popular SLP course on intervention strategies for nonverbal students. Can you tell us the strategies that you find most successful? Yes, I, I launched this course a couple months ago. It's called Help Me Find My Voice, and it's a five-hour course dedicated to helping those students that are hard to reach, that don't have a way to communicate. And so I just go, I want people to feel like they have a framework when they meet a student like that, because I think that's what's so overwhelming. When you meet somebody who's not communicating, you think to yourself, where do I even start? How do we even begin? And if the student doesn't like the things that you think are reinforcing, or the student doesn't like anything. I've worked with students before who didn't like to watch movies or YouTube or some of those definite go-tos that you think, oh, everyone loves this. So definitely having to think outside the box. But, you know, my top strategies are really to, one of the things that we don't always get a good snapshot of with standardized tests is a student's ability to request. And so sometimes in the field of applied behavior analysis, you may hear this term called manding, and really it's requesting. So can a student tell you the things that they really want? If they really want a juice box, can they tell you that? If they really want to leave the area, can they tell you that? And oftentimes our students who are nonverbal or limited verbally really cannot do those things. And I think that is such a hardship because we as speech language pathologists, give standardized tests. I mean, that's our go-to is to try to do that and also do some informal things, but that's often not something that's assessed. And so if we haven't assessed it, then we don't put it on the IEP and we don't work on it in intervention. If you really are a parent and you think about your own children, how many times they request daily, 
it's a lot. So that's it's so really, much. Yes, it's so so much. Much. <laughs> it is so much. It's never ending requesting. And so that's what you have to remember is that that's really, people want to be able to have some way to communicate those things. And if you can't tell people what you want, it's frustrating. And then that's kind of where you know, some problem behavior starts. So I think that's what's so important is even if you don't have some of the assessments that I talk about is, you know, I talk about an assessment called the VB map. And if it's not something that you have access to just along with whatever battery of tests you're doing is to look at a student's ability to request. Can they request things that they really want? And if they can't, that really needs to be something that the student receives direct intervention on and that everybody on the team, and you know, that's something else that I'm sure is relatable is that these teams for students who have more complex needs can be very large. It can be school therapist, outside therapist, BCBA, parents, parent advocate, you know, the, it, the list goes on and on. And so making sure that we get all people on board with what we're trying to do, because I think having a really narrow collaborative focus, easier said than done. There's so many different barriers to collaboration. It could be personality traits of people on the team or just time to talk to people. But I think that's what's so important is maybe we don't have all those goals. Like you mentioned, maybe we just have five, but we're all doing them. And that's where a lot of power can come from. And it's hard. It's hard to always have an observation. It's hard to have this comprehensive assessment all the time because we have so many students on our caseload that need all of our attention. And so I think it just goes by the wayside and then we don't see it as part of the intervention plan. And then, you, like you said, then we start adding other things when maybe this is the basis of where we need to start. And that that's what is motivating for a student. If a student can request Thomas or Daniel the Tiger, or whatever that student loves, that student's gonna wanna hang out with you because you have all the cool stuff that they like. And that's a big part of it too is building, I've been calling it a therapeutic rapport, but it's really just building a relationship with the student. I feel like a lot of the times we're so focused on getting data, which I am too, because I love data, but sometimes we have to let ourselves say, you know what, I'm just going to build rapport with this student because I want the student to want to see me. I don't want the student to see me and say no speech or, you know, so, or shut the so door, or run out of the area. I want the people to see me, the students to see me and to be excited and to say, that's the lady that gets me. That's definitely, the lady that definitely. And I feel like sometimes it can be a little problematic only in that I do like this uh, rotation on Fridays. And so typically I have in this one class um, some TAs who are working on IEP goals, then a teacher at another station working on IEP goals. And then my, my table, and this is a class where everybody's working on requesting with a core board, okay? Yeah. So I bring like the most highly reinforced force you know reinforcing toys right. and I can imagine so I'm always going to be there with those like jelly sticky hands or squeezy yeah. toys or putty yeah. or like fidget spinners and <laughs> this teacher I think like hates me even though we have a great relationship because yeah. she's like do you know how hard it is to work on IEP goals when you have like oh, three children yes. getting like highly excited over like what is going on at that table like everybody in right. the room wants to be at that table and she's like right. do you need to bring the sticky hands and everyone's like <laughs> slapping away <laughs> It's good though. I'm sure they're requesting. That's they great. They are. They really yeah. are. That's cool. Very cool. Oh my goodness. So now what product are you most excited about right now? Yeah. So I, I do have, I, my Hallmark product is called the Action Builder Cards. And, you know, a year ago I had no idea about anything about how to create a physical product, but I do have a product 
that is, I was just getting sick of making my own flashcards with Google images. Yeah. I was doing a lot of that. And I know a lot of people do that because I needed to have multiple examples of actions to show my students. And in all the things that I was using, there was just like one picture of eating, one picture of playing, one picture of writing. And yeah. so my students that I was working with needed multiple examples to know that this picture might mean eating if the student's eating an apple, but this picture with eating pizza also means eating. And so, you know, I just kind of created that and people seem to really love it. And it's been really cool to have people, um, like if you sign up for my course, help me find my voice, student people, if you live in the you know United States, you get a free set of action builder cards. And so it's been really cool to get the feedback that people have been using them and seeing progress with their students. And then I've been able to use them in all different types of ways. I've had students who use AAC and we've used them for mixed groups. You know, would you rather build a sandcastle or a snowman? That's, that's the one. We were doing like a little book about winter versus summer. And so I used them because they were just really nice visuals. And then it was a visual for the student who's using the AAC device to be able to find sandcastle or snowman. Um, and here in Ohio, actually, I think one of the kids did pick snowman. Yeah. I would have picked, I would have picked Santa Castle, but um, yeah, so it's been cool. Even like I, I had one vision of when I created them, why to create them. And then I just use them for all different types of reasons. So they're very versatile. I love when that happens. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. So let's awesome. move it on to something later. Yeah, I actually did want to go back though um, to yeah. your course. Um, yeah. I actually, do you still offer the free intro? Because I think that's really important for people to know about it. Oh, yes. Like a free okay. mini course. Yeah. Yes. I have a free mini course called Communicate With Me. Okay. And that is free and kind of gives you like a little idea of what the course may be like. And so it's like a little snippet. I also, you know, I have a blog. So ABA Speech is a blog as well. And so this summer I've created two free courses. One is an email course about helping students with autism. And it kind of goes over the five keys to where do I get started with this type of student. So it's an intro to what would be the larger course. And then I also, I just last week, um, started a email course it's just one video and you get pdf sheets completely free and it's about progress monitoring for classroom-based therapy and so i just mm -hmm. went to asha connect in the summer and we did these slp school-based roundtables, and so i got to meet all these speech therapists from all over it was so cool and one of the things we really all talked about is how hard it is to take data especially when you're in the classroom which is a nice way to deliver services if it's appropriate for a student. And so I just did a new webinar about that and how to collect data because like I said, I like data and I'm always kind of modifying and tweaking. And so I provide some data sheets as well for that one. Awesome. Yeah. Very I, cool. Yeah. I took the mini course. I really, really okay. enjoyed it. So I'm I so highly glad. recommend it for anybody. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And those are all available. My website's www.abaspeech.org. So yeah. Oh, great. Cool. We'll add that to the show notes. Yeah, because you give some really good examples in that mini course. Great. And then I think if somebody's wanting to learn more about, yes. you know, like you said, working with individuals who are nonverbal, um, it's a great course to move yes. on. Yes. And, you know, another thing about the course, I just try to make it a little more, you know, a little different, you know, because I'm trying to think back to when I was in Austin, I was able to like go out to the buildings and help people apply the strategies. And so I have a, when you join the course, I have a private Facebook group that is just for people that are in the course 
course and then I go live into that course once a month and I answer any questions or give examples and kind of talk about the information more because I really want people to feel that they could apply the strategies. I know that I've been to a lot of conferences um, since starting ABA Speech and I always pick stuff up at conferences and I always challenge myself to say, okay, I'm really going to implement this with my caseload because it's amazing to hear somebody who's so dynamic talk about something, but then to bring it back and apply it with your own students, it, it's hard. It gets lost in the transfer. So I want people to know I'm there to be a coach to help you out. Yeah, you're like that go-to girl for ABA and, you know, speech. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I love that. That's what I want to be. <laughs> All right. Ready? On to the fun. Yeah, yes. let's do our game. All right. So we have this little spinning wheel. Okay. We'll show it to yeah. you so you, okay. can, yeah, so you can see it's a real thing. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, wow. It is a real thing. Okay. All, All right. Like so like we're going to get to know okay. ABA speech rows. Okay. I'm going to give it a spin and there's right. different questions on each one. Okay. Awesome. And um, so maybe we'll do, what do we say we're going to do? We'll probably get through like five of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Perfect. Great. All right. I'll we'll give it first. a spin first. Okay, tell us something you learned last week. Oh my gosh, something I, okay. Something I learned last week is that my kids are really difficult on the first week back to school because we started school back last week and everybody was really cranky. Let's just say that, <laughs> really cranky. So that's what I learned all about my kids. Same, same. My children are also just difficult. Very difficult. <laughs> During the first week of school, I guess it's high stress for us. Stressful, And they can yes. like pick up on that. Yes, it was hard, very hard. Um, tell us somewhere that you traveled recently. Oh, okay. Somewhere I traveled recently. I took my kid. We took my kids, me and my husband, to Rehoboth Beach, which is in Delaware. We did that in the summer. It's only an eight-hour drive for us, so that was not that bad. And we had so much fun. It's like an old-school beach vacation with a boardwalk and arcades so and ice cream. So it was that fun. Sounds fun. fun. That does yeah. sound fun. Great. Okay. Tell us something about your childhood. Ooh, something about my childhood. Let's see. I love to play tennis. I grew up playing tennis. I loved it. I played every single summer. I was an instructor. And I even, I went to the University of Akron. I went to a Division One school and their tennis team was hurting at the time. And I actually got to walk on. And I only played for three months because I knew that I had to have near perfect grades to get into graduate school for speech so it was a very short-lived career there but yeah awesome yeah very cool okay let's see all right something you do to exercise is it tennis oh, yes i love tennis i love playing tennis i hadn't played for 10 years and i just got back into it actually in may a couple months ago and it, it was great so yeah i love that Okay, let's do two then, because I feel like she already talked about how she exercises, so we'll do two more. Okay. okay. Something you listen to. Something I listen to. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, well, actually, my stereo, stereo, I sound old. My That whole system is not working in my car right now, because I think my son put change in it. That's what they said. It sounds oh, like no. I got the diagnostic board. He said, it sounds like there's some coins in there. So I've been listening to podcasts. I listen to business podcasts. I know that sounds kind of boring, but Amy Porterfield, Pat Flynn, stuff like that. And obviously, the Speechy Show and all those, your Speechy side up and all the great stuff that's out here in, in the SLP oh, world. Awesome. I like Amy Porterfields too. I listen yes. to a couple of hers. They're good. Do you yes. listen to Gold Digger? I just started that one. Yes. That yes, one's I a do. good one. <laughs> yes, I started I feeling really bad about my life though when I listened <laughs> to that one because she's like, 
because every episode is like so radically different that I would like yeah. in the beginning I was like oh I'm gonna try this okay I'm gonna try this and then you get like kind of overwhelmed yeah and now, like, episode 30 I'm like I need to stop because I can't do all of this <laughs> every day you know yeah. this is something that she's done over you know a couple of years so yeah yeah I tell everybody much. to you know try it out but don't take it too seriously yeah no. stop if you need to <laughs> <laughs> just for leisure listening yeah yeah so I like right? all that stuff I'm hoping that I'll eventually get to listening to more podcasts because right now I listen to Disney songs in the car. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. I do like uh, Moana music. I'm yes, not- there you go. Know it by heart. I'm sure. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, some tell us something you do well something I do well. Um, I would hope people would say collaborate and communicate well with others. (laughs) I really do. Like I love talking to people. I remember when I shadowed my sister, she's an accountant and I love her, but I just thought, no, this is definitely (laughs) what I want to do. Like I love working with people. I love talking to people. I mean, I love talking to all types of people. I was always that person that in school was like sitting sideways in my chair talking to whoever. Um, So I think communication, I would hope people would say that, you know, communication is something that I do well. Awesome. And online courses because I, like I said, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yes. I love that. I love that. Thank you for that feedback. Awesome. Well, this has been so fun. Yeah, this has been great. great. (laughs) Yes. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was great. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming. No problem. (laughs) Until next time. Yep. Until next time. Bye, Rose. Bye. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. And we want to end with a review of the week. This one is from Jennifer Bradley. And she said, I just binge listened to all of the episodes. I love getting to know so many different inspiring SLPs. Thanks for doing this podcast. Thank you, Jennifer, for listening and taking the time to write a review. You're amazing.